Hey everyone, I'm Kevin Wallace, pastor of Redemption to the Nation's Church. Listen, I'm grateful that you have joined us today for this message that God has given me to speak to your heart and to your life. I believe it's going to bring you strength and hope. I want you to pay attention. I want you to stay with me till the end. I'm gonna come back and pray with you. Enjoy this message today. Of God is what I'm gonna preach on for the next several weeks and I wanna preach a, a series called Thy Kingdom Come. Everybody say, Thy Kingdom Come. And when we say thy kingdom come, that is a portion and an excerpt from the Lord's prayer given us in Matthew's gospel. When Jesus said, when you pray, pray like this. Our Father which is in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Come on, football players. We never prayed growing up, but we always prayed this prayer on the sidelines. Somebody say amen. Uh, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. Twice in one prayer, he mentions the kingdom because the kingdom is the most important subject that Jesus came to establish in his theology, in his preaching, in his demonstration and ministry, it was the gospel of the kingdom. And I want you to get that, and you can go study this, and, and you can verify what I'm saying to you. you. You and I have always celebrated, and we should always celebrate the preaching of the gospel. But I want to be clear with you that the gospel is the gospel of the kingdom. That's even what the Bible says. Jesus preached the gospel of the kingdom. I've told you this a thousand times. Jesus preached the gospel of the kingdom. Thank you, sir. The apostles sent preached the gospel of the kingdom. John the Baptist preached the kingdom. The, come on. We, the people of God, have a responsibility to do what he sent us to do. And I want to talk about the kingdom of God over the next several weeks because I think some of us are churchy, but we're not kingdom. I have been churchy in my life, but when I got a revelation of the kingdom, it shifted how I utilize everything God gave me, how I build relationships, how I operate on this earth realm, because I need you to understand, although we are in the world, we're not of it. We are born of another kingdom. And so... So instead of this world affecting negatively your kingdom identity, we're going to preach until our kingdom identity affects the world around us. We are called, I'm telling you, Jesus did not come just so you could have coping skills. I'm preaching already here. He came to teach you how to demonstrate and operate in a kingdom dimension. Father, help us today. Go to Luke 22, verse number 28. If you have a red letter edition, you will find these words written in red. But you are those who have continued with me in my trials, and I bestow upon you a kingdom. Mm. And I bestow upon you a kingdom just as my Father bestowed upon me that you may eat and drink at my table in my kingdom and sit on thrones judging the 12 tribes of Israel. I want to preach today on a covenant kingdom. In this series on thy kingdom come, today is, I suppose, the second message, if you can, can understand that that two weeks ago that was the first message. This is really the second message. I think this message today is more of a foundation for where we will go from here. Because we need to get an understanding of what it is Jesus came to receive from the Father and what, consequently, he gave to us. Jesus did not come just so we could get a new car and a new house and a nicer Rolex. Jesus came to give us something that the Father gave him. I'm going to talk about it today, and I'm going to preach on a covenant kingdom. Father, help me today to teach in the spirit of wisdom and revelation. I pray that the Holy Ghost would bring illumination to the eyes of the people of God. Like Paul prayed for Ephesus, I pray for RTTN. The eyes of their understanding be enlightened that they may know what is the hope, the hope of their calling. 
And I pray today, God, that you would give them a spirit of wisdom and revelation, not in the knowledge of a man, but in the knowledge of God, that there would not just be a mere declaration, but we seek today, God, for there to be a demonstration of your power in our lives, that our faith would not stand in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. And I pray today in Jesus' name that if there be one lost person sitting in this place, that they would come under the influence of grace and conviction that they would know they are not right, but they have access to become right through the blood of Jesus. And I pray today, God, and arrest any hindrance, anything that would try to rise up or distract. I thank you, God, in Jesus' name that the people of God will leave today strengthened in their faith, renewed in their commitment to serve you. Bless the people in Jesus' name. And everyone said amen. Hey, Father, Touch somebody real quick. Father, we pray for John Gray right now. Our pastor friend, our brother, my brother of God, my dear friend needs a healing right now. I speak to that pulmonary embolism in his lungs right now. I pray a dissolving over it. A miracle would happen. It would dissolve and disappear right before the eyes of the doctor. I pray you would get the glory, sustain his life, add years, Lord. Renew and restore him in his strength. Let his strength be like that of an eagle. They that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings as eagles. Let him run and not grow weary. Let him walk and not faint. Help him today, God. Heal him, Jesus. Make him whole. Come on, we bind and agree together in Chattanooga that our brother in Greenville is going to come up under the power of God and that the anointing that brings healing is coming on him now in Jesus' name. And I thank you for what you're going to do. In Jesus' name, and everyone said, amen and amen. Hey, how many like the carpet? Come on, how many like the carpet? Isn't it beautiful? How many are going to keep coffee out of the house of God? Okay, let's get into the Word here. That quenched everything happening. (laughs) That's all I'm going to say about that. Luke 22. One of the most powerful chapters and portions of Jesus' story found in the New Testament. In fact, we call this the Passion. It's found also in John's Gospel, the 13th chapter, where he comes to a room that has been prepared for Passover. And he says to them, and I did not read all of the chapter for sake of time, but the context of the text I read to you today is that he is sitting at the table with his disciples and he says something profound. He said, I have eagerly desired, I have been passionate and zealous for this moment to sit with you and eat this meal. He is moments from his betrayal. He is hours from his crucifixion and condemnation as a criminal. And yet, before he leaves this planet, by way of resurrection and ascension before he dies on a cross at the hands of the Roman guards, before he is wrapped in grave clothes and placed in the borrowed tomb of Joseph, he is passionate and zealous to experience this last meal with his disciples. And he tells them, I have eagerly desired to eat this meal with you. And he begins to fellowship with them and he begins to talk with them. And like most of us over a good meal, the longer you sit there, the more you start becoming uh, free to say what's on your heart. And it begins to happen in the lives of the disciples. Jesus tells them, one of you are here today and you're going to betray me. It's the worst possible thing that he could have said to his 12. They're sitting around with him at the table, and he tells them, he looks them in the eye, and he says to them, one of you is going to betray me. If you read Luke 22, after the Lord says, one of you are going to betray me, and woe to the one that betrays me, the next verse says, they begin to talk among themselves, who could do this to Jesus? Which one of us would be so vile that we would be the one that betrays the Lord. And the next verse is unbelievable. It says in the next verse in Luke 22 that they began to argue among themselves who was the greatest. Watch the progression. Jesus is, is, is moments away from his betrayal, hours away from his crucifixion, 
and the disciples learn that one of them are going to betray him. They begin to talk about who would be the one to betray him. And the conversation quickly devolves into a conversation that is absolutely futile and useless. Which of us is the greatest? In the moment where Jesus needed his disciples the most, they find themselves unable to be restrained in their ambition and in their agenda, in their carnality and in their desires. They begin to discuss and argue over who is the greatest. Jesus needed them the most, and they are having conversations that are absolutely useless. And we can pick apart and we can accuse and we can criticize the disciples and say, how horrible. But when I observe what I'm dealing with and what we're walking through in our day, in a moment where people who've served the Lord all their life are walking away from Jesus at a frightening rate. The deconstruction of faith. Y'all don't want to talk about this. The abandoning of faith. People who've been in the church their whole life, people who are levying attacks against the word, the, the veracity of scripture, the, 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 the gospel itself is under an attack, the person of Jesus, the church of the living God at a time when Jesus needed us the most. When people are turning around and walking away from him and doing it on public, very noticeable venues, and they're turning around and walking away and departing from the Lord. The church, much like the disciples, are having conversations that are futile and useless. We're arguing over who's the greatest. Arguing over who's going to be the best. Arguing over, concerned about who has the most followers. And the reality of it is, they were talking about who was greatest, but they were using the wrong measuring stick. I want to tell you today that Jesus gives us something about success and faithfulness here in the 22nd chapter of Luke that is intended to be a, uh, an absolute uh, um, attack. It's, it's intended to be an affront, I should say, to this metric system that we have come to fall in love with in our modern day church. He measures things differently. He doesn't necessarily measure by how something how, how faithful something is by how large it is. He goes back to the heart of the thing and he gets to the motive of the thing and he begins to expose that even though you want to talk about greatness and you want to talk about who the greatest is, you, you, are, you are acting like the world acts. And you are defining greatness how the world defines greatness. And that's not how I define greatness, the Lord says. Because in the world's kingdom, the world's kingdom de defines greatness by your title. How many follow you? How great and vast your influence is. But in this kingdom that I came to establish, the greatest among you is the servant of all. In the kingdom that I came to establish, the, the, the one who comes to be served is actually the least and the one who comes to serve is actually the greatest and what he is starting to do is he's starting to paint a picture of the dichotomy and the contrast between the world's kingdoms and the kingdom of our God. They are not alike at all. If the kingdom of this world and the measuring stick of success in this world were applied to Jesus while he was on earth, he would have been called a failure. He ran from crowds. He ran from accolades. Every time the crowd began, 
began to celebrate him and honor him. He ran back to the mountain and got closer to the Father because he recognized something that men are fickle. Their followership is fickle. And sometimes they'll have you elevated on a platform, but they'll be the one to push you off and watch you fall and celebrate when you die. And Jesus was saying, I did not come to build my kingdom on this world's principles because this world did not give me the kingdom that I came to establish. This kingdom is birthed and given by my Father and I came to establish a kingdom that measures success in a very different way. Success in the kingdom is called faithfulness. Success in the kingdom is called faithfulness. Sometimes you just got to stick with it. Here he is at the end of his life. He's having the last meal with his disciples. He's getting ready to drop the biggest kingdom bomb on them that you could have imagined. I'm getting ready to get to that in a minute, but before I do, let me reveal this. He's getting ready to drop the biggest kingdom bomb on them that they've ever heard. They're getting ready to hear something no one's ever heard before. And before he drops that kingdom bomb on them, the Bible says that before he gives them the kingdom, he tells them something. And I want you to look at this. If you got your Bible, just keep it open. The Bible said in verse 28, I read this to you, you are those who continued, continued with me through trials. Amen. Here is where people lose what God wants to give them. They come to a moment of trial and the trial gets too hot and the pressure gets too heavy and the uncomfortable feeling of, of, of dealing with this stuff and wrestling with these questions and watching Jesus go through the crushing. And, and, and some people say, I just can't handle this. And when the trials come, they peace out on God. Been nice knowing you. As long as you pay the bills, as long as you give me friends, as long as you open doors, as long as you give me what I want when I want it, then I'll stick with you. But I want you to see, and this is a very important statement for you to grasp, before he drops a kingdom bomb on them, he tells them, because you continued with me through my trial." Somebody in this room today has got to get the kind of tenacity and the kind of faith and the kind of made up mind that when something happens you don't understand and when something happens you cannot make sense of and when life deals you a deck of cards you don't know how to play, you have to resist the pressure and you have to resist the temptation to peace out and to run to greener pasture and you've got to be reminded of what the psalmist said many are the afflictions of the righteous but the Lord delivers him out of them all you gotta be reminded of what the apostle Peter said for this light affliction that I feel this heaviness that I'm wrestling this stuff that I'm dealing with is only for a moment and it pales in comparison to the far exceeding weight of glory that will be revealed <laughs> I got to calm down here, but I feel happy because sometimes I need to be reminded that weeping doesn't always last. Sorrow has an expiration date. Pain will produce power and the devil will regret that he kept you up at night and tried to steal your joy. Sometimes you got to make up your mind that I'm going to continue with God through the trial. I'm going to stay with him. I'm going to stay with him. Galatians says, Galatians says, if you endure, you will reap if you faint not. And too many people get in the trial and they don't continue. But you continue to see what the end might be. 
How many have ever watched a movie that drove you nuts? It just drove you crazy. You're watching it, you didn't want to watch it, but you couldn't quit watching it. And it, I, that happened to me this week. We got a little bit of respite and vacation, and Jeremiah and I were watching some movie. And I was, he had it on the, the, in the truck playing. I was driving, and I was just driving. Then I was, this is horrible. And, and he's trying to give me the footnote version of the movie. And I'm, it's, it's driving me crazy because I'm thinking, Interstellar, that was the name of the movie. And I'm losing my mind trying to follow this movie. And I can't make sense of what's going on. Some of you are going to go watch it now and you shouldn't. It's horrible. <laughs> but, but sometimes you continue to see how it turns out. Jesus, I feel like preaching. And some of you in this room today need to get back in the game and continue your faith walk with Jesus. And you need to tell the devil that's trying to drive you crazy, I know why you're fighting me. I know why the trial comes. I know why the enemy pushes because he sees what I cannot see. He sees potential in my future. He sees blessing. Hand me another microphone. Uh-huh. Get, let's take a time out and like 10 of y'all praise the Lord before I break a microphone in front of everybody. That was a TV timeout. Hallelujah. I want you to understand this morning that sometimes the enemy will push on you to see how much you're going to stick and how long you're going to stay. And I feel like there's about 10 of y'all in this room this morning that have come today to tell the devil, I've come too far to turn back now. I've been through too many valleys. I've walked over too many mountains. God's kept me through too many situations. And what I need to, the enemy to know is that the attack is an announcement that God is about to drop a bomb of blessing on my life. If God were through with me, he would tell me, but the fact that the enemy is messing with me is an indication he wants me to quit, but I cannot quit. Eye hasn't seen, ear hasn't heard, neither has it entered the hearts of men what God has prepared for us who love him. I wish somebody would praise God like you know your best is still yet to come. Somebody say yes. Now, the Bible says he told them you continued with me in my trials. Look at verse 29. And now I bestow upon you a kingdom. What? That phrase is like a nuclear bomb dropped on a group of fishermen who had no spiritual pedigree. They were all first generation apostles. They hadn't seen anyone but Jesus. They didn't come from a long line of preachers. And here, because they stuck, they stuck it out. Stood. Yeah. Stuck. Some of y'all are making fun, but if you'll go home and read it, you'll find it's not in the dictionary either. Hallelujah. They stood and they stuck it out. Yeah. And because they stuck it out and they stood, I want you to know, come on, laugh. It's okay to have good time in the house of the Lord. Some of you are so uptight and I'm preaching to overcome that religious attitude on you. And I'm going to plow until you get delivered from religion. I'm going to plow until you get set free from that thing because this house will never be a starchy church. It'll be a kingdom center where we'll live on assignment and watch sons and daughters possess the earth and do things for God that only the righteous and the redeemed could do. Hallelujah. He says to them, because you stood with me, because you stuck with me through the trial, 
I want you to know I'm going to bestow a kingdom on you. Twelve men, minus one who was Judas, who went the way of perdition, then he was replaced by Matthias in Acts 1. Twelve men became the initial recipients of the kingdom of God. And Jesus says something profound that I want to teach, and I'm going to just break this down. I'm going to let you go. He says, I'm conferring on you. I'm bestowing on you the kingdom, just like the Father bestowed it upon me. Now, what's interesting is some of you would look at that text and you would say, oh, that's eschatological and it's in time and it's when Jesus returns. The problem is the Greek tense is present. It's not, I'm just going to do it down the road in 3,000 years. In the Greek, it is, I'm giving it to you right now. Those who stood with him and stuck with him in the trial, those who kept believing and did, I know that they, I know that they stumbled, but how many are thankful that stumbling doesn't disqualify you from being a citizen of the kingdom? I'm going to talk about that in a minute. Because we get the impression that all the great patriarchs and the great men and women of God never doubted. That's not what the Bible teaches. Have you ever read Hebrews chapter 6? It said that Abraham stumbled not at the promises of God. And I think he did sometimes. At least that's what it looked like when he went and he got Hagar. Y'all not helping nobody in here. Why, why would on one hand he say that Abraham didn't stumble and then we read Genesis and it looked like Abraham messed up a bunch. I'll tell you why. God is willing to look at you and not define you according to your weak season. Come on, there's a difference between being weak and being wicked. God can't use a wicked man, but I'm thankful he'll often use a weak man. And the Bible says that because they stood with him, stood with him through the trial, stayed with him through the test, stuck with him through the pain, he gave them and bestowed on them a kingdom. His gift to the faithful was the stewardship of a kingdom. And what's interesting is he said, I'm giving it to you the same way Abba gave it to me. Read it. Just like the Father bestowed the kingdom on me, I am giving it to you. Well, how did the Father and when did the Father bestow the kingdom upon Jesus? For that, I need you to flip over to Psalm chapter 2. Can we teach for a minute? Come on, go to Psalm chapter 2, and let's, if you got your Bible open, if you got a phone, get a Bible. Hallelujah. Psalm chapter 2. Look at verse number 6. Psalm 2 is one of my favorite chapters. I'm not going to read the whole thing, but look at verse 6. I have set my king on my holy hill of Zion. I will declare the decree. The Lord said to me, you are my son. Today I have begotten you. This is God the Father speaking to God the Son. This is the decree the Father is making to creation regarding the begottenness and the appointment of his Son to be the King. Mm. The Bible said, I will declare the decree. The Lord said to me, you are my Son. Today I have begotten you. Watch. Ask of me. I will give you the nations for your inheritance and the ends of the earth for your possession. You will break them with a rod of iron. You will dash them to pieces like a potter's vessel. This is the moment when God decreed that his son Jesus would be the king whom he sat on his holy hill in Zion. This is in Psalm 2, hundreds of years before Jesus shows up. But God established it in eternity, and then he performed it in creation. 
on the planet. He established it in eternity. Come on, that's why the Bible said he was slain from the foundation of the world. Don't you ever let somebody tell you God came up with the plan after the enemy. God was far ahead of Lucifer's scheme of deception because God will always in his love have a way out and a plan of redemption. Anytime the enemy shows up for destruction, if you ever invite God in, destruction becomes part of your testimony if God ever becomes a part of your equation. Slap somebody Tell your neighbor, yes, 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 yes. Now watch this. God said, I will set my son on my holy hill. What's interesting to me is that when, in Luke 22, when Jesus said, I will confer the kingdom, I will bestow the kingdom on you, just like the Father bestowed it on me. The word there, bestow, is used twice in that one verse, the 29th verse. That word is a covenantal language term. It doesn't just mean, in fact, the root word is the word that is used for covenant in the New Testament itself. That word bestow is reserved only for those who walk in covenant. God does not give his kingdom to hirelings. God doesn't give his kingdom to people who have their own agenda. God doesn't give his kingdom to people with their own impure motives. And some people who have been making a merchandise of the people of God and have been using the church to build their own kingdom. And I said it right. They're using the church to build their own kingdom. You're going to continue to see microphones taken away from voices who are perverting the message of the kingdom. And God is going to continue to raise up people who have pure hearts and have undivided attention and total allegiance to Jesus because the message of the church in this hour that must be trumpeted is the message of the kingdom of God. And if you are interested in preaching a divisive, money-driven, and Pastor Quantel always says it best, the reason we're not preaching the kingdom is because the kingdom produces unity and division pays the bills in most churches. I'm going to rewind that. I said for most people, division pays the bills. In other words, if you can't stand up and get your following to get excited about what you're saying, if you start preaching the kingdom, people start loving one another. And when they love one another, that means they might leave your church and go to another church, or they might start a church, or they might fly somewhere and become a missionary. If you ever get a kingdom revelation and stop trying to support a personality cult, this is why we've got division in the pulpit in America. This is why we don't have blended congregations and we talk in foolish terms like white church and black church and Hispanic church. It's because we're not, pre you don't have to say amen, but I came to preach the kingdom today. And when you preach the kingdom, you offend people who are not living by the kingdom. And division's paying the bills. It's quiet. But Jesus is about to walk through the temple and do what he did in John. When he walked in the temple and he turned the table over, he cracked the whip and ran the money changers out of the temple. And I've come to tell you, God is about to breathe a fresh anointing on the kingdom message and those who are ambassadors of the kingdom who will declare the word and the gospel of the kingdom. So... Jesus says, because you stuck with me, I'm, try, I'm going to bestow upon you a kingdom. And I'm going to bestow it upon you like the Father bestowed it upon me. And this is covenantal language. 
He does not give the kingdom to people who are not walking in covenant with him. Because when God makes a covenant, he doesn't back up off the covenant. You don't believe me? Father Abraham had many sons. And many sons have Father Abraham. It's getting ready to get deep. I am one of them. So are you. Let's just praise the Lord. Here's the thing I want to tell you. When God made Abraham a covenant, in the book of Hebrews, the sixth chapter, God said, when I can't find anybody else greater to swear by, I made a covenant with Abraham and I swore by myself. Do you understand? God said, I'm going to make a covenant with Abraham and I'm going to bless those that bless him and I'm going to curse those that curse him and I'm going to make him a blessing. I'm going to take his family and make it a nation. I'm going to bless the whole earth through Abraham. How many know that's a covenant? When God said that, it established an Abrahamic covenant. Watch this. And when God declared that over Abraham, the Bible said he looked for the greatest because whenever you want to make a covenant and you want to ratify it and you want to make sure it's set, you find the highest authority in the land and you swear by that authority. That's why when you go into the courtroom, you say, I swear. You lay your hand on your Bible and you say, I swear to tell the truth, the whole truth and nothing but the truth. Why? Because you are swearing by authority that that is going to be your word. When God told Abraham, I'm going to bless you, God looked throughout all the universe for the greatest to swear by so that it would be known that his word would surely be performed and that it would come to pass. And when he looked throughout all of the universe, he couldn't find anyone greater than himself. So he said, not only did I make the covenant, but I swear by my own power that I'm going to make sure this covenant comes to pass. And I want to remind you about the promises of God. The promises of God are yes and amen. God is new. God is not a man that he should lie or the son of a man that he should repent. That's why some of you have got to get your praise back while you're waiting on your prophecy to come to pass. The devil told you it hadn't happened. He told you that Kevin and Devin were crazy, that we're always prophesying, and it ain't ever happening in your life. And when you believe that lie, it delays the fulfillment of every prophecy. And I feel faith rising right now. But somebody today, somebody today is getting ready to get your faith back because you are recognizing in this moment that the promise you're holding on to was not by, made by a man that changes his mind. The promise that you're holding on to was not my, made by a woman that might like you today and not like you tomorrow. No, the promise that I'm holding on to came through the lips of a God who knows the end from the beginning, who has the power to bring it to pass. If he told you your children were going to get off drugs and your child just got on another drug. It's not time to throw in the towel. It's not time to say it can't happen. It's time to roll your sleeves up and tell the devil, God is not a man that he should lie. He is not the son of a man that he would repent. If he spoke it, he'll bring it to pass. Touch three people, tell him it shall be done. It shall be done. It shall be done. I feel my help coming on me right now. It shall be done. Every promise in the book is mine. Every chapter, every verse, and every line. Somebody give it praise. God made a covenant with Jesus and said, I'm going to give you the kingdom. Ask of me. And I will give you the nations for your inheritance. How many read that with me? And then what begins as kingdom covenant language in Abraham and in 
even all the way back in Noah, when God flooded the earth, he told Noah, I'm going to put a rainbow in the sky. Not for Pride Month. But ooh, ah, you're meddling now, Wallace. But I'm going to tell you right now, some of you need to get the rainbow back and redeem it. It was never intended to be a message. Come on in here. Y'all don't have to hate on me because I ain't hating on nobody. I'm just telling you that the rainbow was never a sign of pride. It was a sign of mercy. Mercy saying I'll never flood the earth again. Lord, I feel it. Mercy saying I'll never wipe out humanity again. Humanity got crazy, but I'm going to put a sign in the sky. And he made a covenant with Noah. And he made a covenant with Moses. And he made a covenant with Abraham. And then this whole issue of, of, of covenantal language begins to transition and God begins to talk about kingdom. So in 2 Samuel chapter 6, he tells David. Let me give you the address here. In 2 Samuel chapter 6, he tells David, I'm going to make sure that your kingdom is an everlasting kingdom. 2 Samuel 7, 16, watch this. Your house and your kingdom, God tells David. Everybody say David. Your house and your kingdom shall endure forever before me. Your throne will be established forever. That's 2 Samuel 16, 7, 16. Now, when God made that covenantal promise to David, few had an understanding then of the long-lasting implication and the prophetic fulfillment that would happen in the life of Jesus. When God told David in 2 Samuel 7, 16 that your throne will never end, your kingdom will be perpetuated forever, no one understood the fullness of what God was promising David. But what God was promising David was the kingdom and that the king of that kingdom would forever be after the line of David. So David had a son named Solomon. Solomon had a son named Rehoboam. Rehoboam had Abijah. Abijah had Asa. Asa had Jehoshaphat. Jehoshaphat had Jehoram. Jehoram had Uzziah. Uzziah had Jotham. Jotham had Ahaz. Ahaz had Hezekiah. Hezekiah had Manasseh. Manasseh had Amon, Amon had Josiah, Josiah had Jeconiah, Jeconiah had Shealtiel, Shealtiel had Zerubbabel, Zerubbabel had Abiud, Abiud had Eliakim, Eliakim had Azor, Azor had Zadok, Zadok had Achim, Achim had Eliud, Eliud had Eleazar, Eleazar had Mathon, Mathon had Jacob, Jacob had Joseph, and Joseph in the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, God sent the angel Gabriel to a town called Nazareth in Galilee to a virgin pledged to be married to this man named Joseph, a descendant of David and the virgin's name was Mary and then angel said to Mary do not be afraid you have found favor with God for you shall conceive and give birth to a son and shall call his name Jesus what is the point the point is that the angel announced the fulfillment of the promise God made to David when he said your throne will last forever the one who would sustain the throne of his great 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 grandfather David was born through the virgin womb of a girl named Mary and this is true because when Bartimaeus saw him at Jericho he did not say behold the son of Saul he did not say behold the son of Bobby he said behold the son of David I want you to know that Jesus was the fulfillment of the prophetic promise that God made to So, why is that important? That Jesus is the lineage of David. Because if God would have made another line the king, he would have broken his promise to David. And if he broke his promise to David, 
then he might break his promise to me. But since he was faithful for 40 and two generations, and since he was faithful to finish in David what he promised, come on, Jesus is going to occupy the throne of his father, David, forever. And the devil hates David because even though David failed, David is still part of the redemption story. God, if I had time to preach right here, I'm thankful that God doesn't go looking in the family tree to make sure that there's no messes in the family tree because everybody in here got some screwed up stuff in your family tree. Come on, somebody. I just want to praise God that in Jesus' family tree, there was a king like David and a hooker like Rahab. And if God can show up through that kind of family, some of you that came out of drug homes, some of you that come out of crack houses, some of you that came out of alcoholism, where is my help in this church? Some of you that came out of anger, some of you that came out of whoremongering, some of you that came out of lying, keep on sitting there. I'm going to hit you in a minute because I don't know what your plight was. I don't know what your vice is. I don't know what you struggle with. I don't know what your generational sin might be. I just came to announce that whenever Jesus steps into the family, he breaks every line. He breaks every, oh yes, oh yes. Somebody give three claps and a shout for the blood. The blood, what can wash away my sin? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. What can make me whole again? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. What can turn your house around? What can set your marriage free? What can set your children free? It is the name of Jesus. And I need somebody to praise him that even though the curse lasts four generations, the blessing lasts longer. The blessing lasts longer. Somebody praise him for the power. I said, somebody pray. We're getting ready to go, y'all. But somebody praise him for the power of the blessing. If you look back over your past and you're nervous about what's in your past, it's only because the devil don't want you to see your future. Oh, but because of the blood of Jesus. Watch this, watch this. I'm through here. Watch. He, stand with me. He, ha, 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 ha. Oh, he takes these covenant disciples and he gives them the kingdom. So in Psalm 2, the father says to the son, ask him. And I will give you the nations for your inheritance. It sounds very familiar. Because Jesus said in Matthew 7, verse 7, ask anything. In my name, don't, don't miss this. Don't miss this. The father gave the kingdom to the son. Why? Because he made a covenant with the son. That I'm going to set you on my holy hill. And demons and witches and warlocks won't like it. And they'll scream, cackle, howl, hiss. They'll curse and revile. But they'll, they will not stop my king from sitting on his holy hill. In fact, the Bible said that the princes of this world would sit in a room and conspire how they would stop Jesus. But God said, don't have a nervous breakdown. I'm going to laugh. Some of y'all need to go to bed tonight without watching the news and letting it rob you of your peace because the stuff you're worried about is not worrying Abba Father. He's not popping a Prozac and he's not worried about the latest news report. He is sitting on the throne laughing at the kings of the world. So, so the father makes a covenant with the son. You will be my son. I'm going to bestow upon you the kingdom. Ask of me. And Jesus says, come stand here, Rick. You be the father. Watch this, watch this. Come stand here, Chris. You be the son. So the father, 
disciples. I'm the son. Okay. I'm the son. okay. The, fa the father says to the son, I'm going to give you the kingdom. All you have to do is ask me for it. The son becomes the heir of all things. He becomes the recipient of the kingdom. And it happens to be that he fulfills the promise made to David because not only is he the son of God, he's also the son of David. Oh, I wish I had time to preach here. So God fulfills his promise to David and he raises up the son born through a virgin womb. And because Jesus obeys the father to the fullest and dies the death required for all of our freedom. When he is raised from the dead, according to Acts 5.31, he became our prince and our savior. When that happened, the kingdom became his. He became the heir of everything the father had. It would be one thing if that happened and nothing else. We would still praise him who is worthy. But this king is not like any other king. This king wants to share his kingdom with his disciples who continue with him through trials. Where's my help in this church? That's why I've been trying to talk to people who've been going through some trials. Because if you've been going through some trials and you're still continuing with Jesus, he's about to release a bomb of revelation on your life. What is that bomb? God the Father gave it to the Son, and the Son turns to the disciples who continued with him through the trial, and he says to those who continued with him through the trial, because you stayed with me through the trial, I'm now going to bestow upon you the kingdom, just like my Father bestowed upon me, and in Psalm 2, the son is told to ask of me and I will give it. And the son in turn tells the disciples in Matthew 7, verse number 7, anything you ask, y'all missing what I'm saying right here, anything you ask of me, I will do it that the father may be glorified. Why would he say that? Because he understands the power of covenant. He knows that when the Father, when the Father said it's yours, just ask me. Jesus said whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. I will give you the keys. Slap somebody tell them the keys to the kingdom. The keys to the kingdom. That's why we have the power to pray. Whatsoever you believe when you pray, believe you shall receive them and you shall. Why does prayer work? Prayer works because God is a covenant keeping God. That's why some people have a hard time praying. Because they don't understand covenant. Prayer is nothing more to some than a transaction of religious rhetoric. But when you know that you've been invited into covenant with King Jesus, and when you're in covenant with him, when you're in covenant with somebody, you don't take advantage of the authority they share with you. Well, I just can't get a prayer through. Oh, you could. But if you're going to use authority in prayer to judge your enemies, he's not giving you that kind of authority. Oh, it got quiet. Because you're more interested in using authority to get at your enemies than you are using your authority to provoke blessing on those that curse you. Where did my Pentecostal people go? Some of you bless people who vote like you. 
Some of you people, some people, bless, you, you bless people who look like you and some people, you don't use the authority God gave you to bless those that despitefully use you. If you want authority over cancer, you've got to have authority over self-righteousness and judgment and prejudice. I'm convinced that one reason we're not seeing a healing wave come through the church. God ain't going to heal our cancer until we allow him, and I mean corporately. He's going to heal your cancer individually, yeah. But there's so much cancer among the people of God right now. And sometimes our own division and hate of one another invites the enemy. Y'all don't like this, do you? We got bitterness of soul that leads to cancer in our bodies. God wants to heal it all. He wants to wash it all. This kingdom is a kingdom of covenant. It is not a cheap kingdom. Some of us think we just got saved to come to church all of our life and sit in the church. And that's the total expression of why Jesus saved us. No, Jesus saved you and made you a citizen of his kingdom to confer on you. We're going to unpack what it means to be kingdom citizens. But I need you to see that he did not come just to give you a get out of hell free card. He came to provoke you to steward his kingdom. He bestowed it on you. It's like this. He just, he, he found someone that would stick with him through the trials. I can't say that enough. I hope you've heard that today. They continued with him through trials. And when he saw them stick with him, he knew he could trust them to steward the kingdom. Be very careful who you're jealous of. Oh, they got so much. They're so blessed. They got so many open doors. So much good happens for them. They went through hell somewhere. You better be careful what you covet. You don't know the price they paid to walk in what they're walking in. Because if you got any kind of favor of God on you, you got enemies north, south, east, and west. I want you to hear me. I pray you understand the power of covenant today and that it releases you and I to be recipients of the bestowing of the kingdom of God. It's happening now. Lift your hands. I don't just mean in this moment. It's already happened, but sometimes your mind has to catch up with the revelation of what God's word really says about you. You can sit in church all your life and be, and I say this in, in graceful tact. I don't mean this in some critical way. Because I have been there myself. How many have ever been in church but been ignorant of something God has for you? I don't mean stupid. I just mean don't know it. That's what the word ignorant means, without the knowledge of. Here's my point. In this moment, I want to pray for people that their eyes come open to the kingdom God is bestowing on them. And the kingdom comes through sharing intimately with God. And Christ says, when you walk with me through trials and continue with me through the test, I'll bestow this kingdom upon you. My prayer is that some of you transition from church attendance to kingdom living. Not just membership, but kingdom living. Over the next several weeks and months, I pray that a revelation of the kingdom begin to seep down into your spirit that changes how you walk, talk, how you give, how you treat people, how you love people, how you view your gifts, how you view your job, how you view your parenting, how you view your parents, 
My prayer is you begin to come aware, become aware of the kingdom influence you have. Some of you are blind to the influence that you have on your life. Some of you have the gift of influence and you are leading people to hell because you do not recognize God gave you the ability to lead people. They follow you and you don't even try hard. And you're trying to figure out why they follow me. It's because of God's hand on your life. And somebody who's listening to me right now needs to stop using God-given influence to lead people into darkness and you need to begin to use your gift and your strategy, your skill and your influence to lead people to Christ. That's the kingdom. Lift your hands, Father. In Jesus' name, I pray for this house before we go today that they would begin to get an understanding and a revelation of the kingdom that has been bestowed on them through covenant. Jesus, you are the king of the kingdom of God. You are the king after the line of David according to the promise of the Lord. David's house would always be a house through which the throne would be established. I'm grateful today, Lord Jesus, that you are the son of David and the son of God. God kept his promise to David because you came through the line of David and because you're a promise-keeping God to David, you're a promise-keeping God to Kevin. You're a promise-keeping God to every person in this place. You do not fail at what you establish, what you have declared and decreed. You will surely bring it to pass. And I declare today that someone who felt like giving up in the trial is going to continue with Jesus. Yes, my mind is racked with pain. Yes, my mind has questions. Yes, I'm wrestling through the confusion and the chaos. But I'm making up my mind today that I'm going to continue with Christ. I'm going to hold on and see how this turns out. I'm not going to let go. I'm not going to give up. I'm not going to stop believing. I'm thankful for those that will contend for the faith, those that will walk with Christ, those that will keep the faith you have promised, that you will share your authority with them, oh God. Now, God, I pray for a revelation of the kingdom to begin to break through people's minds right now. Somebody, Lord God, is breaking out of a mental cycle of defeat. Somebody in this room has a, has a family tree of loss, a family tree of theft, of uh, 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 prison. Uh, somebody in here came from a long line of people that went to jail, and, and they're afraid that their future is full of incarceration. Devil, I break your lie off their mind. If the son makes them free, they are free indeed. They will not be a victim. They will not continue that perpetuating curse. That curse has been broken by the power of Jesus. That harassing voice will not prevail in their lives. They are more than conquerors through Jesus Christ. And I declare they're going to be victorious in Jesus' name. If you're in this house, heads bowed, eyes closed. If you're in this house and you say, Pastor Kevin, pray for me. I need to give my life to Christ today. I want you to... Pray for me. I need Jesus to save me, Pastor. I don't know what you're bound by. I don't know how long you've been away or how far away from God you are. All I know is this. One prayer to God, and he'll turn in your direction. He'll rescue you. Heads bowed, eyes closed. If you're in this room and you say, Pastor Kevin, pray for me. I need to give my life to Christ today. I need my sins to be forgiven. One, two, three. Lift your hand if that's you. I just want to pray for you. Anybody at all? Yes, sir. God bless you, buddy. Yes, ma'am. God bless you. God bless you, sir. You can put your hands down. Thank you for lifting them. I want you to look at your neighbor in just a moment. I want you to ask them. I don't care if they're your best friend, your wife, your husband, your dad, your mom. I don't care if you've known them your whole life or you never met them before. I want you to look at your neighbor and say, do you need someone to go to the altar and pray with you? If you lifted your hand or you should have, when they ask you that question, if you lifted your hand or you should have, just come out of your seat. Come meet me down here. We're going to pray. Jesus is going to save you today. I believe somebody is moving kingdoms today from a kingdom of darkness to a kingdom of light. Come on. If you want to give your life to Christ, ask your neighbor right now. Do you need someone to go pray with you? Come on. There were four or five hands. We don't come get people. But if you want to respond to Christ's call this morning, just come out of your seat. We're going to pray. God bless you, buddy, for coming. God bless you. God bless you, buddy, for coming. Come on. Come on. I think we ought to praise God for this. Come on, sweetheart. I'm coming into the kingdom today. I'm coming into the kingdom of God. Come on, buddy. God bless you. Come on. Come on. They're still coming down the aisle, Pastor Gary. Hallelujah.
Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Come help me, pastors. Come help me pray right now. All of you pray. Stretch your hands toward this altar. Come on, let's just pray a blessing over them while they come to pray. Jesus, we praise you. At the cross, at the cross, where I first saw the light and the burden of my heart rolled away. It was there by faith I received my sign and now come on 30 more seconds of prayer they're praying through this morning at the cross where I first saw the line and the burden of There by faith, I receive my sight. One more time, the Lord's touching their life. Let's pray for them. At the cross, at the cross. ask you as they're praying to seal what is happening in their hearts and I pray for the people of God today in this building that you would seal the word. Let them chew on this word. Let them remember this word. Don't let it quickly be taken away. I ask you Holy Spirit that you would let a revelation of the kingdom that you have bestowed upon us began to sink into our hearts and minds that we would understand what this kingdom of God is about. So we pray today, God, in Jesus' name, that we would have open hearts and open ears this week that you could speak to us. Bless the people this week. Give them divine protection and blessing and divine appointment. And watch over us and our families. Watch over our community. Send angels to Chattanooga to keep our streets safe. We ask in Jesus' name that you'll bless our city and the surrounding area. Be with us in Jesus' name, and everyone said amen. Wednesday night, 7 p.m., we'll see you this Wednesday night. Let them continue to pray. May the Lord bless you and keep you as you leave this afternoon. Go in the peace of God. I believe this message today is speaking life and hope to you in your journey. We wouldn't be bringing it to you today had it not been for faithful partners around this nation who are helping us to spread the gospel of Jesus Christ. If you want to leave us a prayer request, I want you to go to kevinwallace.tv. Let us know how our team can pray for you. You'll also find a place there where you can learn more about partnership, how you and your family can help us continue to spread this good news of Jesus around this nation and around this world. I look forward to hearing from you. And until next week, God bless you. We're praying over you and your family today.